The views and opinions expressed by individuals on the following program do not necessarily reflect those of the network, Guys Guy Radio, and its platforms. It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Instead of being blinded by physical distractions, imagine returning to a place of deeper knowing. This is Robert Manny, host of Guys Guys TV. This week, my special guest is Channel Paul Selig. It all starts right here, right now on Guys Guys TV. You can also catch me on KCAA Radio here in Southern California. Guys Guys Radio, my worldwide podcast, and we're on UK Health Radio all weekend long. Guys Guys TV, Guys Guys Radio, thanks for your support. It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, Guys Guys Radio, it's the interview portion of our show. I've got a very special guest. We're going to talk about channeling. We're going to talk about the Book of Innocence. We're going to talk about the guides, and we're going to talk about really how do we raise our frequency and create a better world for everyone through our own ascension to what's called the upper room. My special guest is a return guest. His name is Paul Selig. He's one of the foremost contributors to the field of channel literature. He's got, I believe, 11. Now a 12th book has just been completed. He had a spiritual experience back in 1987. It left him clairvoyant. He attended NYU master's degree from Yale. He's author of Beyond the Known, Realization, and the Mastery of Trilogy. And again, 11 books in this series from the that's channel text from the guides. He also offers channel workshops internationally, online, in person. He serves on the fa- faculty of the Islam Institute, and he has a private practice as an intuitive. He's in Maui, Hawaii, and conducts frequent live stream seminars. And I have to say, I've had the honor of meeting Paul before he became this worldwide global phenomenon back in the the village in New York City when I stumbled upon his book, I Am the Word, and I attended a few uh, workshops. Mm -hmm. And from there, I just became, uh, I don't want to say hooked on the material, but it was transformative for me. And uh, so thank you for being back on Guys Guys Radio, Paul, and congratulations Mm -hmm. on all of your success and on the new book. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me here. So I know you're in Maui. I have to ask you for those who are not familiar with you or familiar with the books. Let's just start there. How are you doing and uh, what's going on in Maui? Oh, I'm fine. I live on the North Shore. The fires were devastating, but they were about, you know, over an hour away from me in Lahaina. And, you know, the island is grieving and is recovering. And, you know, the island is open for business. Um, And, uh, the communities really pulled together in a, in a wonderful way. Good. Um, any word? I mean, have you had any correspondence with the guys, if you will, about the situation there? You know, I was channeling while it was happening. I was doing a class. I initially, those of us here, because communication was down, were told that the fires were contained and they were not. Um, and they have addressed this in, in some ways, but in a larger perspective. And I'm very wary of stepping into spiritual metaphor and meaning um, at a time when so many are are grieving. I don't think that that's necessarily respectful to do. So they have talked about it. I was channeling a workshop in Berkeley the weekend right after, and um, they, they addressed it there, and they addressed it in a live stream. My problem is I don't remember what they say. I remember maybe a third of it. 
And they've never really channeled on current events, really. That's never their teachers. But what I do understand is that we are very responsible for our relationship with the world that we are living on and that we have not been good shepherds for it. And that unless we start to take some more responsibility for the collective reality that we share, we may continue to have challenge. You know, now I, or infrastructure issues that are apparent. I don't know. I'm not. I don't know the details, but I do know that there was. I was here. The, the, the winds were insane. The trees were blowing in the wrong direction on my property. I've never seen anything like it. And you know, the power lines were down, and there were fires in different parts of the island. I had people sheltering here from the Kula fires, which were you know not as severe, but but also damaging. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're okay, and God bless Maui, and hope everything comes together in a good way in the in the near future. Um, so continue the good work there, and thank you for being safe and for the work you do. Um, let's, for the benefit of the folks who are not familiar with your work yet, Paul, I'd like to just start out with, you are a psychic uh, medium and a channeler. So um, about, um, I guess, over a decade ago, you started channeling the first book, I Am the Word. What happened to uh, ignite that experience of you beginning to channel your first book? There's 11 in the series. I think you just finished a 12th. It and is. it's uh, tell us about that. How did it start? There wasn't an ignition. I had been channeling in, in different ways since my early 30s, primarily bringing through the energies that the guides would work with, with descriptors. They would instruct in how to work with the energy. They began working with attunements. They didn't begin lecturing through me until I was 48. Um, and I had begun in my early 30s to, to, to hear. Um, I had been working on a project. I got let go of the project. It was devastating to my ego. Um, a friend of mine, a colleague from one of my jobs in academia, I was a college teacher, called me, I thought, to sort of cheer me up, but it turns out we'd had an appointment to talk, and she said, this would be a very good time for you to write that memoir about how you became clairaudient. And I was done with writing, and I said, I'm not interested in doing this. And the guides piped in and said, we have a book to write, and if you will take two weeks, we will do it. And at that moment in time, I didn't really care. You know, I wasn't aspiring to do a damn thing. I just wanted to get out of the, the discomfort that I was in at the time. And um, they dictated I'm the word. It took two and a half weeks, you know. Amazing. Just, just, just over two weeks. And, um, and that was the beginning. They really haven't stopped since then. I mean, they just finished the 12th book this last week. Um, so, you know, there, it wasn't a, a moment of glory and the lights went off in the skies and, you know, aha, I'm going to channel an important book. I just showed up. It's what I still do. I show up and I take the dictation. The books are not written. They're spoken. The recordings are transcribed. I transcribed the first three books, I think. And shortly after that, we started getting other people to pitch in and help. And now I never even see the thing until it's typed up. You know, and when it's in book form, I will do the audio book. And that's really the first time that I revisit the channeling and the whole teaching when we're recording the audio book. I don't even really read them. I'm so steeped in it by the time the book is done that I can barely fathom any of it. 
Um, I what was interesting about the the first book coming through was that I had only begun recording channeling sessions, the lectures that had begun coming through me um, at age 48 when they started lecturing and transcribing them. And that was probably not going on for more than a few months before they said, we have a book to write. So clearly it was my willingness to show up for this at that level. And I had had a writer's block of enormous magnitude before then. So the idea of them delivering these lectures, which were the first things I began transcribing that required no editing, that were remarkably succinct and beautiful, was fascinating to me. So I just continued to do it. I was just along for the ride. And then the book started and, and it hasn't stopped. Just absolutely amazing. And for those who are not familiar with Paul, Paul channels, he basically says what's coming through from the guides and then repeats it. So you hear it twice. And um, of course, with the audiobooks, you hear it once, but that's how Paul works. And he does a lot of workshops and seminars around the world. And I got to tell you, I've attended and they're fantastic. And you feel like when you're in one of your workshops, Paul, sometimes I'll think, well, this may not be for me. And then all of a sudden I realize that I am having a personal experience in the workshops. Like I'm the only one there. Like this workshop was for me. And I have a feeling everybody in the workshop is kind of feeling the same thing. Have, have people mentioned that to you, Paul? Yeah. Yeah. I hear it all the time. They felt like the guides were speaking directly to them or addressing where they were at. And I, I'm always appreciative of that. The guides have said for a very long time that they teach in a one-room schoolhouse. And so everybody is being met at the level that they can be received. Um, and I think they're, they're, they're fine teachers in that way. Yes, the books are uh, amazing. You actually can feel it when, you, when you're reading. And afterwards, and I was telling Paul before we went on air that I, I, get, I get exhausted reading these books because spiritual texts in general sometimes can be tiring. Maybe it's just me, but I find like, whoa, I am like wiped out after reading because I, I don't stop when it says stop because I have to get through the book because I have a lot of books backed up. And um, wow, after a couple of hours of reading these this text, it's like it's a lot to process, but I feel that it's working. Now, the guides, Paul, for those who aren't familiar with them, you speak about them as kind of a collective. They say they're kind of Melchizedek. 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 Um, and that's about it. Do you notice a change in the, I know in the workshops I've been with you, they've had different accents come in. Um, I assume there's different members of the collective that step up front mm -hmm. to speak through you. Um, have they changed over the years? Are they familiar to you? Do, does any of them one, is there a point person that comes to you? Uh, how, how does that no, work? It doesn't really work that way for me. And I'm not a visual. I mean, I, I, I can work clairvoyantly and see, but I don't see what's happening when I'm channeling unless they give me a visual metaphor that I'm supposed to work with in the dictation. I've seen one of the guides a number of times who is who I feel the most affinity to, and he's who I think of. But there are, there are clairvoyants that have watched me work, and they've seen the different guides step in. And they've noted, and, and there are a lot of the people that have known my work for a long time and are very familiar with the channeling say that they can tell when the speaker is shifting. The last book that came out, or maybe it's, it's the last book, Resurrection, I think, is the book, um, which is the book that came out this time last year, there was a chapter that was channeled by a guy that I didn't quite recognize. Um, 
And because the metaphors were so very different, the metaphors were very much about home and kitchen and hearth. And she felt very female to me, which is normally I don't get a sense of gender. But and she was hysterically funny and bossy and seemed to be very happy to be present for this. But the guides, I, you know, I think they're coming through in different ways and I perceive them as a collective and I think since I first began channeling, it has changed remarkably. But a lot of that, I think, is because I've become more skilled as the channel. So the radio that I operate at has been operate as has been refined, I think, through through industry, through continued application of the work to bring through a higher broadcast. Um, so it's, it's a very personal experience on one level. At the same level, I'm a radio. That's what I think I am. I don't think it's, I don't think of myself as special and I don't, I, I get, I get frustrated with the demand that it be seen as such. Um, but I think I'm a radio. So I'm tuned into a broadcast that is that I call the guides. And if I'm reading somebody, I'm tuned into the radio station. That's that person. If I'm doing a reading for them. And I'm hearing them or the people in their lives. And that's how I, I work. Um, so the guide station is trustworthy. The repetition of language, how they structure sentences, is pretty much all in alignment. And there have been channelings that I've been party to that I thought were herky-jerky and it didn't feel clear and the energy felt bumpy. And I read it on the page and it's perfect yes there was a channeling in the very first book i think it was the first book i'm the word it was the first book and at the time i was living on eighth avenue in new york city which is very loud and i started the channeling and all of a sudden there was um a jackhammer outside the window i was on the second floor of third floor of a building jackhammer right outside i did the whole thing with my hands over my ears thinking well this is going <laughs> to be nonsense and you'd never know it it's a perfect chapter you know they they tend to override my discomfort yeah uh, but that's the, the books are eloquent and when i say they're uh, you know you get tired it's not because of the text it's not because they're difficult to read although you can't like skim through you have to read and digest it but they're beautifully written and when you take the time and you absorb the information it really sinks in and and in a really good way here's a here's the cover the book of innocence uh, for those who are on youtube and rumble book two in the manifestation trilogy the new one's just coming out now and apparently you've got a 12th one already in the can that's just come through do you yep. get any sense as to how many books there are going to be and uh how the messages are changing or if, yeah. if there's been a trajectory in terms of what the messages are paul the book that they just finished, which they're calling A World Made New, they say is the completion of the books that began with I Am the Word. It's the end of the Manifestation Trilogy. But they also say that it's the end of this first teaching. And I thought, you know, OK, I'm done. Maybe that's it. You know, I've, I'd heard that they had other things to write. But the other day in a, a live stream, they announced that there were three more books already prepared. And they intended to bring them through and they said what the first one, what it was, what they were about, or at least what the first one was about. Um, but that it would take some time for me to integrate in order to be able to bring that through. And so I don't know that they're doing more trilogies, but I do think that they have more to say. And I don't know 
what it means to say that they're not continuing the prior teacher. I think what they're doing now, they've gone from the personal application of the work to the collective application of the work in this trilogy. Um, I don't think these are books about, I'm going to get what I want now that I'm doing all the spiritual stuff. I just don't think that they operate that way. So what they're doing now, I suspect, because I've been teaching still, they've been coming through to channel since the book was completed, which was on Friday last week. So less than a week ago. And I've channeled a few days since then, and they're already into new stuff. But they're talking about a foundation that's been created um, in what they call the upper room. And now they're, they're speaking to union or the experience of union, um, which is what happens when you move beyond separation or the belief mm -hmm. in separation. So that's, I suspect, where they're going. So, okay. yes, the teachings are changing. The new book, um, the Book of Innocence. Uh, I got about a two, about a third or halfway through it, and I said, if I could distill one sentence from this, it's about reclamation. Really, it's about people discovering what is, what has always been, kind of peeling away all the garbage we've been fed and we've accepted and collectively have agreed to to make the world the state it is in now. And our mm -hmm. relationships, they stayed are there and now. And what we need to do is really see everything through God, that everything is God. And if we do that, that will change everything one person at a time. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's about not discovering something new, but reclaiming what has mm -hmm. always been. Is that accurate? Directionally? Exactly. Yes. You want to uh, take that a little further than me? Well... <laughs> They say that the aspect of each of us that knows who it truly is, which is not the personality self, they call it the monad or the divine self or the true self. Sometimes they'll call it the Christ, the seed of the divine. And all of us knows who it is already and is seeking realization through us. And that has been the teaching since the first book. How this comes into form as manifest is in some ways the teachings of this trilogy. But the form extends beyond us at the level of I'm so-and-so, you're so-and-so. It moves to a, a kind of collective realization or the, that the divine operates beyond the singular and as the whole, both the singular and the whole simultaneously. They're saying you become the perceiver and the perceived. You're in source, perceiving source, being perceived by source. So the aspect of one that is in reclamation is the divine self that can do this. It's not the personality self fixing the personality self and hammering away at the old pain. This is a teaching of reclamation at the level of source. So the God within is really doing the work, but you have to be in agreement to it and you have to be along for the ride because we still have free will and they will not override it. They bring their students to what they call the upper room, which is the, the, like, so the octave above the common field. And it's at that level that one is reclaimed, redeemed. They use all these rewords about this. Um, but you're being reclaimed by the part of you that is the divine self that operates beyond separation and beyond fear, that has never been moored in a personal history 
of shame or despair. So the aspect of the divine come as you knows itself as free is not operating at the level of vibrational tone that they call the common field is, which is what we think our reality is, but is operating in a higher way. And because it's operating in a higher way, it actually reclaims what it encounters and they say like vibrational accord. So it's simply put, God sees God in all of its creations. You know, it's we who create the separation, we who deny the divine. The guides have said, you can't make anything holy, it already is, but you can deny the divine in anything and everything. And, and, it's, and it seems like that's been the story of our history. So the challenge for people as they get attuned to the upper room by the guides is always going back and defining things through the history that we've experienced. So maintaining, I think one of the challenges is for people is maintaining their space in the upper room, whereas things happen all the time. We go back to the definition of what we're already known. I'll give you an example. I have a new neighbor downstairs. Every time I walk home, the dog comes up to the door and is like... Arr! And today I said, I'm going to I'm going to see God in that dog instead of saying, I wish you would be quiet. I'm going to see God in that dog. So I walked down, I walked towards my home and I saw the dog and he was up on the screen and I looked at him and I said, I love you to myself. And he just went Err, and didn't really. And I'm like, that's a, that's a minor thing. And who knows if that was it. But I think it, it, it's that's part of the attitude we need to have hmm. instead of going back and saying somebody was mean to us. And so we're always going to define them through that versus seeing the God through them and starting hmm. fresh, if you will, in that everything is God, even the, the dog, poop, whatever. Everything is God. It's part of yeah. God. But you're also allowed to have discernment. So if the dog poop is on the ground, you don't have to step in it. You know, <laughs> if the dog has rabies, maybe it's not the best time to pick the dog up and play. And if somebody is coming at you with a weapon, maybe they don't have a high intention for the encounter. So I don't think we lose discernment here. But I do think that we're not operating through a lens of history, which is challenging. And I'll put it this way. The guides say all the time, what you damn and who you damn damns you back. Who you put in darkness calls you to the darkness. Now, I don't have to call somebody, I don't have to call somebody to the darkness to decide that that's not who I need to spend time with. That's discernment. Okay. Okay. Um, there's some phrases that have been um, repeated throughout the books that I've been doing for years now, and they, they, ch they change a little bit. Um, uh, God is, God is, God is. It will be so, it will be so, it will be so. Behold and make all things new. I'm in the upper room. Uh, tell us about what those four sentences mean and how they work together. Let's go through them one at a time. What was the first okay. one you said? Uh, God is, God is, God is. Well, God is, God is, God is. It's actually a claim of completion. The claim, it will, behold, I make all things new, is a claim of, of re-articulation. It's the divine as you that perceives all things from a higher vantage point without the taint of the old. It will be so is the manifestation of this. God is, God is, God is, is the realization of the manifestation. It's the experience of seeing the world at that level of vibrational accord. So God is, God is, God is, is a simple statement of fact. It all, you know, God, you know, it either is or it isn't. You get to choose what your reality is. But the claim God is, God is, God is, does not hold the denial of the divine. 
does not parse and does not hold this one above the next. You know, it's a, it's a realization of the totality of source. So I understand it that way. And these are claims that they make. They say or they're claimed by the true self. So Paul, as Paul, the curmudgeon who, you know, lives where he lives, is not necessarily the one making the claim. But who is making the claim is God, the God that has come as and through me or you or anybody else. That who can, that's the I am presence. That's who can invoke this. So in the upper room, the monad begins its passage of manifestation, as I understand it, which is a, a reclamation of the entire being at a level of vibrational accord. And then it begins to perceive itself in all manifestations. Behold, I make all things new. It will be so. God is, God is, God is. Now, there's another uh, expression. I know who I am in truth. I know what I am in truth. I know how I serve in truth. And then it was, I am here, I'm here, I'm here. Then I was, I, I've come, I've come, I've come. And now it's, I am known, I am known, I am known. And I think you can, you can transpose either of those three last words there. How, how, does, how does that work? What does that mean for our listeners? Well, they're, not, they're used differently. So okay. claim, I am here, I am here, I am here, seems to have been sort of subsumed in the claim of I am in the upper room. The order actually is I am free, I am free, I am free, which is the divine self releasing itself from the attachments of the personality self may have accrued to what things should be or what the rules should be and how things should operate. Because the monad exists beyond time and space and is not bound by form. So it is free. So in the, that, then that's the aspect of the self that's in, in the upper room. The claim, I have come, I have come, I have come, is the monad announcing itself as actively present. I am here, I am here, I am here, was the monad saying, here I am. I have come, I have come, I have come, is the monad in action. And it's action, and they say, when you invoke that claim, you're moving the energy of the monad through every aspect of self, inclusive of those parts that would deny it. And that's the challenging passage one undergoes. The claim, I am known, I am known, I am known, I don't know. I mean, they've utilized this at different times. I don't necessarily think of it as in sequence as much as another claim. It's a powerful claim. They've been working with it for years. I think they unpack it a bit in the Book of Innocence and perhaps in the book that they just finished, although yes. I recall that. And they say, uh, this is just my first level of understanding because usually I understand these things at the first level, which is the easiest, and then find out there's a whole depth to the teaching and to the claim and to the attunement that I wasn't even aware of. But, you know, we're all so busy trying to seek or find God or to know God that we don't realize that we are already known. Why wouldn't we be? And the claim, I am known, I am known, I am known, in most ways, I guess, is permission and agreement to be known at that level of union and source. Okay, my special guest on Guys Guys Radio, Paul Selig, the channel and the author of uh, 11 books, soon to be 12. The new one is The Book of Innocence. Um, on a day-to-day -day basis, I think the challenge for people who read the books and uh, start to use some of these uh, affirmations, if you will, 
and have gone through the attunements in the books or at your workshops is how do I kind of get this thing going during my day? I'll give you an example. I, I'm constantly saying those things. When I have free time, I'll just say, God is, God is, God is. It will be so, it will be so, it will be so. I was swimming the other day. I was getting bored in my laps and I started going through these sayings over and over again. And I felt it was helpful for, to, to me. Mm-hmm. Are these charged, are these words charged in a way that we can draw on them on a regular basis? Because we yeah. don't want to be just, you know, well, root and saying them. They're not mantras per se, and they're not meant to be said by rote. I don't think it's a magic wand. And I think people who want that brand of spirituality can get a, you can maybe just as effective to have a magic eight ball that's <laughs> going to give you your answers. And you can feel s- supported by that. Nothing wrong with it either. My understanding about the entombments is that the language is indeed encoded with vibration and the invocation of the language. It's like playing a jukebox and you plug in D4 and the same song is going to play every time. Now, and you can align to the energy of them, but there must be intent behind the claim. Other than that, it's just a bunch of sound. Mm -hmm. Now, I do think that the attunements are effective at a level without full comprehension of them. And I know this because the guides have led hundreds of people through them at once. And I remember being in a theater once where nobody knew the work. And the guys did the attunements and they had them working with partners. Everybody felt it and was surprised and amazed that they were having this experience. But the guides say that these attunements are like notes on a piano that need then they're played. And when the, the claim of the, of, of the attunement is realized or known, that's when you have the manifestation of them. So, you know, there's a number of notes that may make up a concerto, but until the notes are all played in union and in unison and in order, you don't have the experience of the the full majesty of the piece of music. So I think it's great to work with them, but I don't think it's abracadabra. I think there is a little more going on here. And that's not to dissuade you from working with them, but it might be as useful to meditate on the meaning of them, mm-hmm. to know of what is really being invoked so that you're not just saying words. Right. Yeah. There's a, a notion of uh, things from spirit start with a tone before words are spoken. There's a, a tone, a chord. That's been a theme that's been mentioned throughout the books. Mm-hmm. Could you explain that to us? Uh, the, the fact that things begun spiritually in tone and then get oh. articulated out. I don't necessarily, I don't know that things get begun in tone. I think things are done perhaps in thought and agreement. But what they, I think what you might be referring to is this thing that they talk about, that we give language to things in order to comprehend it. They say true knowing, when you truly know something, you're act, it's actually beyond language. You give it language, you give it the meaning, but your true knowing is actually perhaps wordless. And then you attach words to it. You go, okay, this is what this means. You give it that to have a framework or structure for it. When the guides tone in the books, because they do, and in the, in the written books, in the printed books, you'll, they'll say the guides tone through Paul, but I've actually double-checked this. The first time they did, I said, well, how's this going to feel? And the first time they did it in a book, 
And I got to that part in the book, I felt the energy of the tone. I went, wow, this is really, this is what they say. The books are energetic attunements. They work mm -hmm. with the reader. When they tone in the books, they're often claiming a vibrational field that can hold everybody, hold the reader in a level of amplification or to remove some structural blocks that people may be attached to. And so it creates opportunity. They're lifting us or they're creating a field where things can be lifted that we may not know to access yet because we don't know we're allowed. That's all. Okay. In the, in the upper room, Paul, um, a lot of people want to stay there as long as possible, of course. And one of the benefits, as I read, is that karma, you know, we might be carrying around some bad deed we did, but if we can get to the upper room, the karma can kind of, I don't, I don't have a better word than dissipate or be changed because we don't have to pay the price because we're in the upper room and that deed is not found in the upper room because there's no fear there. Is that, am I misinterpreting this? I think so, yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, the teaching of karma is something they've gotten into somewhat. They say how, if you still have a lesson to learn, mm -hmm. you're going to learn the lesson. You may learn it in a different way in the upper room, but they talk about karma. They don't talk about it as punishment, which is kind of how you're referring to it. Right, right. They don't talk about it that way. They, it's an opportunity to learn. So, you know, you can learn by putting your hand on the hot frying pan. Right. And not to do that, or you, you can find another way to learn the lesson. So what I've heard them say is that this isn't like a get out of jail free card. We are responsible to our actions. It would be foolhardy for somebody to say, well, I'm in the upper room and I can go kill somebody or go rob the bank <laughs> or do whatever, you know, that's false thinking. You know, people are still accountable for their behaviors and what they do. And a lot of that is around the intent behind the action that must be understood. The action is the result of an intention, which is often the result of a, a belief. So I do hear that you move beyond that system. You move beyond that. You're not incurring karma when you're not operating in fear in the way that you might and the guides say the action of fear is to claim more fear but it's a teaching that i you know i'd have to look at what the books say because i don't recall everything about it you mentioned something earlier about um you know this book these books aren't really about manifesting like i want this and here's how i can make it happen and it seems to me and i'm probably read it i don't know which book that what we could imagine probably is only a particle of what could be so yeah. the idea of manifesting, I want this this way, is really small self talking small talk versus yeah. if you go into the upper room and you open up and every you see everything is God and everything is source and you reclaim everything, then the it's limitless. That's my understanding. I mean, you move to a level of reception where you can receive your good. But we, in some ways, the, you know, the guides say... I've said this a million times. I say, you know, there's nothing wrong with a house in the hills. Somebody gets to live there. But why do you want it? Why do you need it? If you want that, if you want it so you can be the envy of your neighbors, you're creating in fear. And then you're incurring that learning and the challenge of that. So most people, I think, come to this level of spiritual understanding, or some people, where they think, oh my gosh, everything is possible. That means the universe is a catalog and I can get the this and the that and the this and the that. But what they're asking for is mostly, I think, what they think they're supposed to have or want through the common field that says this is what success looks like. 
and this is what happiness should be, and this is what beauty must be. You understand? And I think that is very limited. And so we can have some of those experiences, but finally, I don't think they're all that satisfactory. Now, in order to manifest anything, the guides have said, you have to first know that it's possible. You can't manifest, you can't claim anything that you can't agree is a possibility. But we tend to think, because we live in a materialistic society, that it's all about stuff. And the guides would say that if everything in your life you are in energetic accord with or coherence with, it's all manifestation. And we are very selfish. So we think about ourselves and our needs. And we're also in a collective shared field. So the guides have said too many times, you are your brother's keeper. Where do you get off sort of thinking that you're not? You're not... You know, our job is to understand ourselves as part of a, a whole, I think. And one of the apt criticisms of the New Age, I think, was always that it was self-indulgent. And it can be, but it doesn't have to be. But I also think that's a stage we go through and maybe grow out of. I'm not perfect, and I'm not ascended, and I'm not a spiritual teacher. I'm a guy that takes dictation, and I'm happy to do that. That's my job. And I'm also learning everything else that the guys are talking about. Um, some think uh, that if you change the way to change the world, the best way is change yourself in a good way, and then it'll have a, a ripple effect. So how do, how, do, how do we kind of manage that with the notion of, well, I want to do this for a living. Well, maybe the universe has something or God has something better in mind for you. How do you kind of how do people balance all of that stuff? So just I don't know for what they your, want. Your heart desire, your heart's desire is probably instilled in you. I believe that, you know, and, you know, I, I just think we also live in a world where we think we're supposed to have what we think we're supposed to want. <laughs> I mean, who, you know, people now, these kids, they, they want to be a, a social influencer. That's what they want to be. It's like, well, that didn't exist when I was a kid. Right. <laughs> And I don't know, you get a lot of free stuff and you get a lot, I don't know, you know, it's like, it's what it is, but that's what's being aspired to by some. Um, I didn't necessarily believe in channeling. I never would have chosen this for myself. And even when I started coming into a spiritual life, I was wary of channeling and I still am wary of some of what passes for channeling. And that's just me. Mm -hmm. I think there are people that are working that are very gifted and very clear. And I think the challenge sometimes is, is that inspiration can be called channeling and an inspired thought can be wonderful. But when somebody gets to go back and edit it and fix it and frame it, then it becomes something else, you know. And so I'm surprised at the life I'm living now. Very and grateful for it, and at times confused by it. But when the guide said, I know how I serve, and how one serves is expression, and how one expresses as the true self is really what we're here for, that can take any number of forms. It's surprising to me that people get into spirituality, and then they think that service is working in the spiritual market. There wasn't, I didn't, wasn't aware of a spiritual market when I was coming into this right, stuff, right. some people working, um, but it wasn't like 
I didn't know of it as an industry. Um, and I work in it, but all I've really done is continue to show up for 30 years doing the work that was being given to me and surrender it as best I can. And then I just, for me, it's just been consistency. I wasn't seeking to get something from it. So I don't know, I, how do you reconcile what you want and, and, and your higher purpose? I suppose people need to surrender and ask or offer. I will to will thy will, you know, the higher will. Um, you know, ask to be in one's knowing, ask to be in your knowing, help me to know, not help me to get, not help me to figure it out, because that's still the small self trying to figure it out, but to know, you know, the few times in my life when I've had profound moments of knowing they were not convenient to what I wanted. First one was I was in love with somebody that was completely impossible for me. And I heard to get away from that. I was praying. What do I do? What do I do? I, I knew I knew I heard. I knew in my heart what to do. I didn't want to do it because I didn't want to let go of the person. And I suffered greatly. I paid an enormous price for that. There have been a number of times when I've had my knowing that would have moved me in a direction. Maybe I maybe it's all happened the way it was supposed to. And I got to learn the lessons that I learned. So I think you can ask. I think people need to know that they can ask. But I think when you're asking and you begin to rely a bit more on, one, on your own innate knowing, which is the divine self, the aspect of you that already knows, and if you can be willing to release what you think it's supposed to be, which is generally framed through the small self, which is just the personality and what it thinks it should have, you know, you can hopefully begin to receive what really is yours and what's wonderful. These are teachings of receptivity more than attacking things, of allowing yourself to receive and grabbing it off the table. Because if you think if you don't get there, somebody's going to get there first. Got it. Uh, it makes perfect sense because um, in the spiritual sense, uh, there's more than enough for, for everybody, but the small self yeah. thinks I get it or you get it. And that's that's <laughs> completely the opposite of the way things are so yes. it's all about reclamation uh not discovering something new but realizing that god is everything and doing your best to find the god in everything as a way going forward for the common man each and every day that's the best we can do and keep doing that and you have guides to help with that and uh just you know st stay to the path and uh be positive and uh be respectful does that sound like a good path paul yeah all right. The name of the book is Book of Innocence. It's the second in the Manifestation Trilogy. Paul's got the next one coming out, I guess, in about a year from now. You're doing tremendous work. I, I am honored to uh, speak with you again, honored to come on the show, to be what I consider a friend. I've known you for a while, and you introduced me to my teacher, Jeanette Meek, uh, who uh, has transitioned, but uh, is always in my heart. So thank you, Paul, for being a supporter of the show and for the wonderful work you do. And thank you to the guides. And if there's anything else, they want to say anything that we need to know. Now's the perfect time. I don't get that there's a message. I said thank him for his presence. So thank you for your presence. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Paul. Great to see you. And I uh, hope to see you again with the next book. God bless. Be well. Bye-bye now. It's Guy's Guy Radio.
Okay, a terrific conversation, very off the cuff, very relaxed, organic conversation with channel Paul Selig about the new book, The Book of Innocence. And as we discussed, uh, he's got another book that's already been channeled through. I guess it'll come out around this time next year. But this one is book two of the Manifestation Trilogy, a channel text, The Book of Innocence. It's terrific. I'm just finishing it up now. I've gotten so much out of it. And each, each book takes you to yet another uh, step up the ladder, if you will, towards the, the upper room, a place where the, uh, there is no fear. Um, God is recognized as uh, everything. You are really, as we discussed, reclaiming what is, which everything is God. And that means everything, the good, the bad, whatever, it's all God. And we have to wrap our heads and our hearts around that to really make the progress we need to make. And so many people in the spiritual area, as we discussed with Paul, they're in it for kind of in it for themselves, and there's a profit motive, and it's a business now. It's an industry, and uh, in some ways that's okay. In other ways, it's a little bit sad because initially I don't think people think about that when they're getting into it, and then they realize they have to make a living, and then they realize, hey, I like I like being a quote-unquote spiritual leader. And one of the things I love about Paul is he's like, I'm not a spiritual leader. I'm not a spiritual teacher. I channel the, gu- the guides, and they do these books, and uh, there's no editing even on them. So just absolutely amazing. And I think the one takeaway is the more we can recognize uh, spirit, God, if you will, in everything, the better life we can live and the more we can help the planet because we're kind of erasing all of the history and all of the definitions that we have made in era about what things really are. Because when you boil it all down, what everything is, is God. Guys Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Pacific time on KCAA Radio, 106.5 FM, 1050 AM. The show rebroadcasts on KCAA every uh, Sunday, excuse me, at 6 p.m. Pacific time. They also do their own streaming. You can listen live. You can download. Um, they, have, they have all of their own platforms within KCAA, so you can check us out there. Our podcast, YouTube and Rumble, all post worldwide Thursdays. We're downloaded in over 100 countries for the podcast. You can watch our interviews on what's called Guys Guys TV on YouTube and Rumble. And our audience is growing and subscriptions are growing there nicely. We're also on Health UK Health Radio, the world's largest talk health radio station in the world. It's a digital station. You can listen to us on Guys Guys Radio four times every week. And plus, we're on their website. Plus, you can listen to the show on demand at UK Health Radio's new website. And also, we, uh, I actually write a column for UK Health Radio's magazine called, it's a digital magazine called Health Triangle Magazine. The name of my series is called Aging is a Choice. It's all about kind of redefining and reshaping what aging can be and how to make the most out of it with some, with some uh, practices but also it's about just the outlook in terms of how we need to look at aging a little bit differently now than has been agreed to by our collective consciousness and culture. You can also catch me on my website, robertmanni.com. I've got over 300 blog posts about life, love, the pursuit of happiness, all free for you. And you can also download on the website three free chapters of my novel, 
the guy's guy's guide to love which is really the source material for everything guy's guy it's about two men in advertising competing for love sex power and money it has been called a sexy romp through the fast-moving high-stake worlds of world of madison avenue and it's been also deemed the male successor to sex in the city it's a lot of fun it's fast it's frothy it's sexy and it's a kind of a summer book but it's uh 350 pages long, and it's in-depth. It's a real story. It's got a lot of layers. It's got some savvy women, some flawed guys, redemption, friendship, frenemies, and a lot of uh, stuff about how the advertising world and how the singles dating world kind of rolls in New York City. So I hope you'll check all that out. We're here for you every week. Guys, Guys Radio, I do my very best to bring an array an assortment of guests that have some entertainment value, but also have something to share in terms of what they do for a living, uh, some tips they may have, and all with the goal of helping you live your best life. You're not going to agree with every single thing every one of my guests has to say. That's cool. But I think if you stay with the program, that you will be able to extract a lot of information that can help you. And if you enjoy the guests, and the content I bring you each and every week to Guys Guys Radio and Guys Guys TV. I ask you one favor. It doesn't cost you anything. Please subscribe, follow, rate, review wherever you consume the show. Thank you so much. Thank you to my 750 guests I've interviewed and had great conversations with over the years here on Guys Guys Radio. Thank you to my wonderful producer, Chris, who does such an amazing job. Thank you to Ryan, my strategy lead. And most of all, thank you, our growing audience, as we continue to roll, continue to grow, and continue to spread positive vibes here on Guys Guys Radio. Thank you so much. I'm going to see you next week. And like I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first.